Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, America. How are you all doing today? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of The Sea Report. Your pretty much everyday daily news show where we uh, bring to you guys news, views, headlines, current events as curated by myself, your host, Michael Aaron Cossidis, otherwise known as Mr. C. Great to be with you guys today. We're doing it early today this afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we are just all over the place right now, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you all for being here with us. I know we're out of our uh, our our time zone here, but uh, I think we'll be fine for tonight. Having a great, great Tuesday afternoon. This is Tuesday, March 8th, in case you hadn't heard. Or in case you didn't remember, that's usually my problem. You know, you'd think for doing a daily show on the daily, <laughs> the dates would not be a problem, but uh, they are, ladies and gentlemen, they are. Either ways, guys, uh, welcome again, and I think you guys are having a great afternoon. We've got a jam-packed show for you guys this afternoon as we kick things off. Mr. C-Style, before dinner, what? I know, right? What a fun time this will be. But uh, yeah, today we have a jam-packed shows. I've been saying. We will have, uh, let's see what we got today. Actually, today we have a very um, focused episode for you guys. We'll be talking on a topic that we haven't spoken about in some time. So uh, with that said, guys, I hope you guys are ready for it. And actually, we'll be talking about COVID-19 today. We're going to have a COVID-19 episode today, guys, because we haven't talked about COVID-19. You know, good old coronavirus 2019 has been out of our, uh, has been out of our radar, off our radar, out of our vision, away from mind and away from sight for quite some time. So we got a couple of stories to catch up with you guys on here, some of which you might have heard, some of which you might not have heard. But uh, either way, they'll all come with that special C-sight that you get by tuning into this broadcast. And thank you all again. If you're joining us live, we are over at Rumble, Clout Hub, and Twitch. If you're following us over at Rumble, Clout Hub, and Twitch, or otherwise, if you're not following us over at these platforms, please, by all means, follow or subscribe. It's always free. You can subscribe over at Twitch, throw some bits at us. Oh, we'd love it, ladies and gentlemen. Your support always helps. We got... We do have some subscribers over at Twitch, and there are actually two new ones that I wanted to make sure that I addressed. To Nylon Camel and Deplora Laura, thank you for being subscribers over at um, over at Twitch with us, guys. I really appreciate it. You know, you help us out uh, every way, every time you guys do such things. Now, if you're over at the Foxhole app, if you're over at Pill.net, you know we love you. And thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Railing on, what's going on? Thank you for donating 117 gold pills. Mr. Mike Mars, great to see you, sir. Always a pleasure, my friend, whenever you pop into the chat room. And uh, yeah, indeed, guys, indeed. So uh, let's see here. What do we got for you? Because I am not going to be too long on the in- incoming. Make sure you check out the newly launched C-Report.com. That is the C-Report.com. We got it on the screen for you guys there. For those of you who have the eyes to see, which means you're live streaming with us right now or you're picking up a broadcast later on in a replay. Uh, absolutely there. So we got the C-Report.com just newly relaunched. 
we do have some pages that are still under construction. We'll, we'll be adding some articles. We'll be adding an article or two uh, as frequently as possible. I'm thinking if I could manage to add an extra article per day, we're in good shape. Uh, but in the meantime, you can also check out uh, previous episodes. And uh, when you do that, ladies and gentlemen, if you go to the resources page, you click on the episode and bam, all of a sudden you get all of the information all of the articles, the videos, the documents that I reference in my reports are all posted there for your perusing ease. Read at your leisure. Search as you will. Know that I don't make this stuff up, ladies and gentlemen. I like to say that because, you know, it's a fun thing to play around with. Uh, I'm still working on that page, though. So we'll be adding uh, we'll be adding more shows, more show resources, starting with episode number 241. Unfortunately, I can't get all of them on there because most of those resources are long gone. Uh, but what I can do, and I'm thinking I'm going to actually start adding in the most recent ones first, because those are the ones that will be top of the mind for our audience. And uh, I think those are the ones that they would like to uh probably click on first. Otherwise, we got a whole bevy of other articles here. Let me actually expand that for you guys so you can see it. See, we got this U.S. Pentagon biolab in Ukraine. What will Russia find? Putin addresses a nation on military operations in Ukraine. The letter to audit and decertify the 2020 election. A very important one, that one. That one's a recap on episode number 243 of the Sea Report. You see Joe Rogan's face there. That one's about Eric, the election rigging information center. That's in episode 242. And then Russiagate, evidence built. What did Clinton know and when? A whole bunch of fun stuff, guys, for you to consider. We have our all-American race to decertify. Who will be the first state to decertify right now? Over at the Sea Report, based on our analysis and the news that we get and across our desk, Wisconsin and Arizona take the first two spots, ladies and gentlemen. Between Wisconsin and Arizona, we're, we're tracking this. Who do you think is going to be the first two to certify? You want to make a friendly wager? Just let me know. Uh, other than that, we got Georgia, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Texas, and Michigan all on the leaderboard. Who will be the first, ladies and gentlemen? We will find out. We have some other articles you can visit here at the Sea Report. Les Wexner, retail mogul, monster maker. Oh, yeah, we got a whole bunch of stuff over at thecreport.com for you, and we'll be adding more stuff daily, <clears throat> including uh, Mr. C in the Dark and a Lone Star News page, both coming soon. And then this one's actually one of interest right here. If you are a creative patriotic type, if you're a patriot who's got a creative bone in your body, say you're a writer, say you're an artist, say you're a photographer, and you would like to be included in an upcoming patriot anthology, that's right, print and bound as a book, Ladies and gentlemen, we have an open call for submissions. Submit your poetry, your nonfiction, your memories, memoirs, polemics, fiction, photography, and artwork. And this work will be presented in a special print anthology from Mr. CTV and Virgo Gray Press. Virgo Gray Press, of course, will be uh, the publisher that is working with us on this project. Let's see what we got here. We got two editors, myself and Java, another Foxhole family member, community member over there. Patriotism. What does it mean to be patriotic? What are your experience as a patriot or with patriotism? How does patriotism work in society and or the globe? How does patriotism make one feel? It is, is it important? Why or why not? Tell us your story. And uh, if you visit thecreport.com and you click on that special little red pill there, 
you can get the guidelines to send your work in to be part of this anthology. Now, we don't have a release date, obviously, right now. We just have an open reading period. So make sure you visit thecreport.com to get more information or email thecreport at protonmail.com. And uh, we'll uh, work as quickly as we can to get you uh, a response on your query, ladies and gentlemen. Should be some fun stuff there. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to seeing what our community has to offer. Right now, we're basically opening this up to the Foxhole and the Pill.net communities. Uh, but uh, in time, we'll open this up to a broader audience over at Virgo Gray Press. Uh, they'll get their announcements going over there shortly. But uh, we're a little ahead of the curb there, guys. A little ahead of the curb there. So that is thecreport.com. And uh, you can find out all the information on this show that you need to find out. You can find where you can... Uh, just live stream the show. You can also find out where you can get the podcast version of this show. I would say head over to anchor.fm slash the C report or search for the C report on your favorite podcasting platform. And uh, therein you will find more information, ladies and gentlemen. All right. With that said, welcome, welcome again. And let's get tonight's show on the road. Good afternoon. High Hope. Good to see you in uh, the audience there. High Hope seems to think that Wisconsin is going to be the first to decertify. And you know what, High Hope? That's why we have Wisconsin in the number one position over at thecreport.com. So uh, you can rest assured we are definitely on the same wavelength there, my friend. And welcome into the show. Okay, let's go ahead and see what we have by way of President Trump statements. President Trump leads here at the C-Report as per the usual, as per always, ladies and gentlemen. And here we go. President Trump's first statement for the day is actually additional program speakers announced for the Save America rally in Florence, South Carolina. Now, as we know, President Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, will be joined by endorsed candidates, members of the South Carolina's congressional delegation and other special guests on Saturday, March 12th in Florence, South Carolina. Now, if you've been hanging out with us over here at the C-Report, Mr. C-TV or the Mr. C-Channel, you know very well that uh, we always, always, always broadcast or share the live stream of the rally event. Whenever President Trump has a rally, we are there. We are gathered amongst family and friends. We bring our snacks and our popcorn and we enjoy the mutual, uh, the mutual uh, patriotism of listening to what our president has to say. Now, I believe for this upcoming event... And now he's he's going to be speaking. President Trump will be speaking at 7 p.m. Eastern time, which puts us about 6 p.m. my time. I believe I will be broadcasting this watch party of President Trump's rally. And I only say that because, man, I had some plans for that day. But uh, it looks like those plans might bring us back in time to enjoy President Trump's rally. Now, again, that's going to be on March 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Now, that's the time that the president will speak. Venue will be the Florence Regional Airport. Now, here's some newly announced special guests. For those of you who um, have not uh, heard, 
We'll have Drew McKissick, the South Carolina GOP chairman speaking, as well as Brandon Judd, who's the president of the National Border Patrol Council. So that should be pretty interesting. I think uh, that would be an interesting one to hear. Lou Holtz, the former American football player, coach, and analyst will be speaking. That's exciting. Graham Allen, who is an entrepreneur, an author, and a media personality, and a combat veteran, will also be on the um, will be on the roster for speakers at night. And of course, we have Governor Henry McMaster of South Carolina, Russell Fry, who is a candidate for South Carolina's seventh congressional district, and Katie Arrington, candidate for South Carolina's first congressional district. Now. I'm looking forward to hearing Katie speaking, so I definitely hope that we are back in time to get that done, guys. Look up Katie Arrington. We covered her story here on the Sea Report a few reports ago. Very, very heartening and very, very encouraging candidate that woman is. Very strong woman, guys. And uh, I would highly recommend uh, you guys uh, check her out. If you're in South Carolina, get to know Katie Arrington. I think that will definitely, uh, she will definitely be one to watch, ladies and gentlemen. Now, as per timeline events of events, they have uh, 8 a.m. open for parking, 2 p.m. open for doors, 4 p.m. beginning of the program, and 7 p.m. again, of course, as I said, President Donald J. Trump will deliver his remarks. So this should be an all-around, it's always a fun time, guys. It is always a fun and an encouraging time anytime. President Trump is holding a rally. And of course, no one else holds a rally quite like this man does. This president, always worth a watch and always worth a listen. And of course, it is always good to hear the words of our president, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's go ahead and head over to our second statement from President Trump today. Let's see what is on the president's mind. This one's actually kind of a bit of a recap of what we talked about last night. Just confirmed that most of Europe won't go along with the United States in boycotting Russian oil and gas. Now, we'll, 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 we'll finish reading the statement before I go ahead and give my commentary. As usual, the United States will be left out there alone, being taken advantage of by Europe as we defend them. While we read in the fake news how everyone has come together under Biden to fight Russia. You know, every now and then someone makes a statement, right? Someone makes a statement that just flies in the face of the lies and the propaganda. Now, that is a pretty embarrassing statement for someone like illegitimate Joe, okay? Because first of all, as we covered last night, we had Antony Blinken saying, oh, well, we're not going to we're not going to boycott or cut off Russian oil until uh, we we get a, a consensus from the European countries. So first of all, we're no longer taking the lead. We're no longer being bold. We're no longer taking action. We're no longer being the leaders. We're waiting to, uh, you know, uh, 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 piddle our feet around with the European Union nations to see what they think about cutting off oil from Europe. And now it seems that uh, the illegitimate joke, well, you know what? Illegitimate Joe, 
is a legitimate joke. I guess I should get my verbiage right on that one, huh, ladies and gentlemen. He is a legitimate joke, but he is an a legitimate president. So yeah, well, that's kind of a mind twister, Ben, a uh, tongue twister for you. But uh, now it appears that illegitimate Joe, the legitimate joke has decided we're going to cut off Russian oil because all of America sees right through our lies. Like, uh, you know, a torn panty liner. It's like uh, America realizes that we're still paying uh, Russia, like what? Millions and millions and millions of dollars per day to buy all of these barrels of oil. And now the chickens have come home to roost. And he's ha- he has to make the choice to cut off Russian oil while he goes over to some other communist country like Venezuela. Or he goes over to what? One of the main perpetrators of 9-11, Saudi Arabia, to seek more oil, to secure more oil. Yeah, America sees right through you, you legitimate joke, illegitimate Joe. So with that said, it now appears... That most of Europe is not going to join America in uh, boycotting Russian oil. Now, does that mean that the people of Europe are not awake to what's going on? Their own nations are still purchasing oil from this warmongering evil entity known as Russia. Basically financing, bankrolling Russia's war. War, with little bunny ear quotation marks. They are bankrolling... Well, you know, that's interesting. Because uh, from this perspective, if Russia is doing a military operation in Ukraine to get rid of the deep state or the elitist uh, globalists in Ukraine... And America and the NATO nations, the NATO, uh, NATO states, the European Union nations are buying oil from Russia. They essentially are bankrolling Russia to get rid of themselves. Ha! What a fabulous turn of events. Because we, the American people, have often been taken advantage of. You know, the globalists, the deep states here have always used our own money against us. They've always used our own uh, uh, national pride against us. They've used everything against ourselves that we supply to them. So could this be an interesting turn of events here? Where, wherein Russia is uh, getting rid of the globalists in Ukraine, and yet the globalists are bankrolling Ukraine by buying, I mean, by bankrolling Ro- uh, Russia by buying their oil? I don't know. Maybe that's just a little bit out there. But I don't know what you guys think. You guys tell me. Anyhow, guys, that's a that's an interesting. I don't know. That's a pretty interesting thought right there. If you ask me, guys, <laughs> that's a pretty interesting thought. It's about time they had their comeuppance, ladies and gentlemen. It's about time they had their comeuppance. So, all right, that's what it. That's how it feels, globalists, when people use your own resources against you. That is exactly what it feels like. All right, guys, let's talk about Truth Social. Truth Social is supposed to be coming out what? Okay, now here's the rumor. I don't know where this rumor started because uh, I don't follow the grapevine, as it were. I don't stand around the water cooler. 
I have my own water cooler, ladies and gentlemen. You guys are more than welcome to stand around it with me if you'd like. Sometimes I have a campfire, you know. But apparently the rumor is that Truth Social is going to be open to everybody come March 9th. That is like what? T-minus a handful of hours from now, okay? I don't know if that's true. I'm not going to claim it's true. I mean, because I have no idea who said that this is the way it was going to be. Now, I do know that it has been said that Truth Social will be available to everyone by the end of the month. I hope it's tomorrow, guys. I really do hope it's tomorrow. If it's tomorrow, you may not see Mr. C, because I will be doing everything I can to get my Truth Social account up and Adam. I mean, it's like we had to release, we had to, we had to launch our brand new thecreport.com to make sure it was ready for Truth Social, ladies and gentlemen. I still don't even feel like we're prepared for it, but we'll see how it goes. I am very excited about the launch, but uh, we have some articles here to go over Truth Social. First of all, For those of you who are new to the broadcast, for those of you who don't normally tune in, or for those of you who have no idea what the heck Truth Social is, we got this one for you. Now, this article comes from, I don't even know who this is, uh, is, uh, some uh, excellent picks. It's a tech magazine of some sort. Gives us a little bit of a rundown, a little bit of an explanation for those of you who may not be familiar with what Truth Social is. President Trump has a new social media app everything you need to know. All right. It says here, United States President Donald Trump, who was booted from Twitter and Facebook last year, has a new social media megaphone, though just how mega remains to be seen. I don't know, guys. I have a feeling it's going to be pretty big, especially when we're on a waiting list. Now, do you think we're on a waiting list because they just can't handle the amount of interest Or do you think we're on a waiting list because they were unprepared? Because you know, the lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy, mockingbird, propaganda, pedophile media, they're saying that they've already failed. I think they are just getting ahead as a teaser, ladies and gentlemen. Now, just looking at this little image right here, because don't forget, there are some people who are already on Truth Social. Uh, it appears to me it's going to have a very similar uh, a very similar um, format or layout as Twitter, which I can imagine only drives Twitter crazy. Look at this: instead of doing your treat, instead of giving your tweets, you're going to be giving your truths. You'll have your truths and your replies in any media you download. Oh, I can't wait. I hope they have live streaming on this platform as well. That's going to be exciting. Okay. Now, apparently President Trump already, uh, he already made a, a, a truth here. He already stated a truth here. Get ready. Your favorite president will see you soon. It says here in the caption, Trump has not posted on Truth Social since the launch. So that's fun, guys. That's pretty fun. Now, the article goes on to say Trump Media and Technology Group on February 20th launched a social media app called Truth Social in Apple's App Store. Some people who downloaded the app were greeted with error messages when they tried to create an account 
while others were placed on a lengthy wait list. Now, I'm number 156,273 or something like that. Uh, at first, you know, I'll be honest, at first it was kind of like uh, frankspeech.com for me. Like, I was getting notifications to verify my email, and uh, when I clicked the button so that they would send me my verification email, I didn't receive it until the next day. <laughs> so I was like, here we go with Frank's speech again. They got it taken care of, though, and I got on the waiting list. Thank goodness my number wasn't so high, right? Now, and that's right, ladies and gentlemen, the C report, Mr. CTV, we are on Truth Social. We're getting uh, we're getting people following this uh, broadcast. Uh, I don't I'm like I hope they're not mistaking us with the other MRC TV. That is the Media Research Center. We are not the Media Research Center, but I'm pretty sure that I got that uh, I'm pretty sure I got that tagline anyways. <laughs> All right, it says here despite the buggy rollout Truth Social topped Apple's charts for free apps during the week of its launch ahead of popular services such as HBO Max, Tic Tac, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Since then, Truth Social has fallen on the charts and is now number 123 as of Monday. Sensor Tower, which tracks the markets for mobile apps, estimated on February 23rd that Truth Social hit 412,000 installs. The app's audience is still much smaller than platforms like Facebook and Twitter that have been around for years. Trump had 89 million followers on Twitter and 34 million followers on Facebook. On Truth Social, he has 195,000 followers. So we know that there are at least 195,000 accounts that are active. They're actively sharing their truths over at Truth Social. What makes Truth Social different? We are a social media platform that is free from political discrimination, reads the app's description. Social media companies have long denied allegations that they intentionally censor conservative speech noting that they have rules against hate speech and inciting violence. Here's what you need to know about Truth Social. Why did Trump launch his own social media app? Tech, flat, tech platforms such as Facebook and Twitter made the rare move last year to bar Trump, a sitting president, from its services because of concerns his remarks would incite more violence after the deadly January 6th, false flag capital riots. Trump used these social networks to push baseless claims, according to this article, of election fraud after illegitimate Joe won the 2020 U.S. presidential election by fraud. When these companies suspended Trump, the former U.S. president also lost his ability to reach millions of people. In October, TMGT announced it would launch a new social network called Truth Social that would roll out in the first quarter of 2022. I created Truth Social and TMGT to stand up to the tyranny of big tech, Trump said in a press release. Trump has been reportedly complaining about the buggy rollout and why more people aren't using the app, the Daily Beast reported over the weekend. How does Truth Social work? See, so based on these graphics, I would say that Truth Social has a very, 
very similar uh, user interface as uh, Twitter. See, Truth Social's design looks like Twitter's. And, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind if it looks like Twitter's. I think I think that's uh, that's two two prong attack right there. It's going to it's going to tick off the people over at Twitter. And then it's also going to be familiar with new users to the platform because, you know, people like me, we just do not like to learn about new social media platforms. It's just a bugger. But it is also necessary and we must adapt or we will be left behind with uh, the dinosaurs, right? The app's design looks like a clone of Twitter. Users can create a profile that shows who they're following. You're able to comment, share, and like posts, which are called truths. The app includes a feed so you can read posts from other followers. Users can also share photos, news stories, and video links. There's direct messaging, a dark mode, and notifications, according to the app's description. Is Truth Social just for conservatives, though? I'm sure that's the main question. Maybe I will go and make, like, a fake, like, leftard account. What should we call it? You guys, think of a really good fake, lefty, liberal, progressive, SJW, Karen account, like, name. And we can do this together, guys. We'll create, like, a, a fake lefty account. We'll, we'll put Truth Social to the test. As, as, a, as a team, though, as the C-Report team, we'll create a fake lefty account. We won't attack people, right? We won't, we won't share untruths, but we'll share, like, parody ridiculous things that we expect people to take us serious about, right? And then we'll see if they, like, if they're really non-political. We know that they're non-political, but... Uh, it would probably do Truth Social good to have at least some representation from the left on their <laughs> on their networks, right? Anyways, I don't know. I'm just talking out of my tuchus right now, guys. Is Truth Social just for conservatives? Even though conservatives have been moving to alternatives outside of Facebook and Twitter, such as Parler and Getter, Truth Social does not market itself as an app for conservatives. The app's description says it has a big tent approach and it describes an outdoor event tent at a wedding filled with libertarians, conservatives, and liberals. Now, it didn't say classical liberals. It says liberals. Although we don't always always agree with each other, we welcome these varied opinions and the robust conversation they bring. The description says to use the app, you do have to be at least 18 years of age. Can you say anything you want on Truth Social? No. Like other social networks, the app has rules users agree to when they accept the app's terms of service. One section called Prohibited Activities outlines everything users agree not to do. That includes tricking. Ah, dang it. Does that mean that we can't make our lefty... (laughs) Does that mean that we can't make our lefty uh, fake account? Dang it. Uh, That includes tricking, defrauding, or misleading the company or other users, especially in any attempt to learn sensitive account information such as... you. Okay, well, we wouldn't be doing that. We wouldn't be trying to learn sensitive account information uh, such as other users' passwords. 
and we would not be filing false reports of abuse or misconduct. We just be we would be a parody account, okay? And if 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 as Barry Sotero would say, if we decide if we if people decide to think it's real, that's on them, okay? Hey, bubbles, how are you doing? Relamon says we should call the account Mr. Purple Hair, <laughs> which is perfect because I have no hair. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, the um, uh, article goes on to say you, uh, you also are not allowed to impersonate other users or use any information obtained from the app to harass, abuse, or harm another person. In some cases, Truth Social's rules are more strict than Twitter's. For example, Twitter allows users to post pornography if the content is marked as sensitive. But Truth Social says sexual content or language is not allowed. User-generated content also cannot be false, inaccurate, or misleading, or include threats of violence, according to Truth Social's terms of service. Apps such as Facebook and Twitter have similar rules, but users have disagreed with how the companies interpreted their own policies. I downloaded Truth Social, but I can't log in. Why? Now, a lot of us are probably very familiar with this image right here. Your account has been successfully created. Thank you for joining. Due to massive demand, we have placed you on our waitlist. We love you, and you're not just another number to us, but your waitlist number is... What's your waitlist number, ladies and gentlemen? How about you guys put it in the chat box and let us know? All right. Article concludes, TMTG did not respond to questions about the app's launch, but the company's CEO, Devin Nunes, a former Republican member of Congress, told Fox News that the goal is to make the app fully operational, at least within the United States, by the end of March. The app's rocky rollout is already sparking concerns from privacy researchers. There is no better sign of a rushed implementation than the fact that you cannot onboard anybody. Well, that's not true because they were not able to not onboard anybody. Apparently, they were able to onboard at least 195,000 users. The uh, statement from uh, this uh, privacy researcher by the name of Bill Fitzgerald says, So I'm hard-pressed to understand why anyone would trust that these people would keep their information. What the heck does that have to do? Not being able to onboard everybody does not equate to information not being safe, Bill Fitzgerald. And let me tell you why. Because perhaps if they had onboarded everybody, then some information would leak, Bill Fitzgerald. Everything that he said is totally counterintuitive, guys. Everything that he said is totally counterintuitive. Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, what in the world is this man thinking? This man is probably thinking, I really don't like President Trump and I don't want his app to be successful. Now, what I'm wondering is, uh, you know, because I already I already downloaded my Truth Social and all that good stuff. But um, uh, if does President Trump have his face on it? I don't think he does. 
And I think it would be a smart move for him to not have his face on it because that way, you know, it won't scare away like people like Mr. Purple Hair, for example. If Mr. Purple Hair saw President Trump's face on the Truth Social app, he probably would not make an account. <laughs> oh, goodness. Good afternoon, Skeeter Burke. And uh, Disco Ball Chaser says she is number 319,744. Girl, your number is higher than mine. <laughs> and uh, Skeeter Burke says, so Lindsey Graham is encouraging people to assassinate Putin would be banned? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question, Skeeter Burke. That, yeah. Great Texas minds think alike, Miss Burke. So uh, what, what, what uh, Skeeter Burke in the audience there is saying is, on Truth Social, would Lindsey Graham being called for, be calling for the assassination of Putin ban him from Truth Social? Well, Lindsey Graham, you might want to think about the things that you say once your Truth Social account is activated. And good to see you, Skeeter Burke. Thanks for joining us tonight. A very good point. A very good point. You know, Disco Ball Chaser, I actually uploaded my Truth Social after you, and I still managed to get number 156,237. <laughs> I'm teasing, yes, sis. Okay, Truth Social coming soon. So here we have uh, Devin Nunes. Now, Devin Nunes, we've known as a freedom fighter through and through, an America First Patriot, a MAGA, a MAGA uh, politician, right? Uh, that almost sounds nasty saying that word, but a MAGA politician nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, he left the ranks of Congress. I was like, what? I was like, this guy cannot, you know how many freedom fighters that we lack. We need as many as we can get still with us in, uh, in, in the uh, state capitol, guys. But uh, Devin Nunes left to, uh, to head, to be the spearhead of Truth Social. Now, here's what Truth Social had to say. Here's what Truth Social had to say. Here's what Devin Nunes had to say about Truth Social. Headline reads, coming in droves, Devin Nunes touts Trump's truth social as a success. I think this is coming from Just the News. We got quite a few pieces from uh, Just the News, Breitbart, The Gateway Pundit, and The Epoch Times. Those are some of our mainstays here over at The Sea Report. But uh, let's see what Devin Nunes had to say about truth social. Better, better, better from the mouth of the CEO, right? Than anyone else. But it says here, people are coming in droves. They continue to sign up. We continue to let them on as quickly as we possibly can. CEO of Trump Media and Technology Group, former Congressman Devin Nunes, said he plans on having Truth Social fully launched by the end of this month. And engagement on the platform is already extremely high. People coming from other platforms such as Facebook and Twitter have higher rates of interaction compared to these big tech giants or tyrants, excuse me, Nunes told Just the News uh, on the Not the Noise podcast show on Monday evening with editor-in-chief John Solomon and co-host Amanda Head. 
How are they getting more interaction right now on truth when we just started? The former California Republican congressman rhetorically asked before mentioning how Solomon is not on Twitter at the moment. The Just the News editor-in-chief was suspended from Twitter for sharing a true story on a peer-reviewed COVID-19 story. Solomon said that hit, that before his Twitter account was taken offline, his social media engagement was about the same as on Truth. I was getting about the same action with 850,000 Twitter followers as I was in Truth, and I was really impressed by the engagement, the smart context, Solomon said. Nunes, who resigned from Congress to join Trump Media, said that it's amazing how many people are joining the platform. People are coming in droves. They continue to sign up. We continue to let them on as quickly as we possibly can, he said. Nunes said Truth Social is different from other social media outlets. People like the vibe on our platform, he stated. Not only do we have real users that are real people who are not hiding behind an avatar with fake names, we also don't have what you see on other platforms. And that is bots running around everywhere. You know, that's a good question. Is Truth Social going to allow people to have Anon names? I hope not. I want to see your face. I want to see your smile. I want to know your name. Anyways, uh, it says here, the goal of Truth Social is to be more than a political social media platform, but to also include photos and life updates, he said. With that said, Railanon, we might have to come up with a good name for Mr. Purple Hair. Maybe his name will be Percy Purple Hair or Percy Purple Quaff. <laughs> First name Percy, last name Purple Quaff. <laughs> because if they don't let us use anonymous names, I think Mr. Purple Hair might not work. But Percy Purple Quaff, that might actually work, Railanon. That might actually work. <laughs> okay, it says, our team is working around the clock. They continue to work around the clock. We continue to let more and more people on every single hour, he said. Nunes encouraged viewers to download the Truth Social app at the Apple Store. You're not going to want to go back to those old social media companies, Nunes added. Okay, guys. So Truth Social, if it's not going alive tomorrow for everyone, it will be live by the end of the month. And you know what? I'll take the end of the month. And you know why? You know why? Because that way I can really get all of my resource page updated by then. Uh, yes, Tam Growl, I am on Truth Social and I'm already getting follows. I just, you know, for the life of me, this is ter I'm terrible. I can't remember if I'm Truth Social at... The C Report or True Social at Mr. CTV. And that would be MRCTV. I think I got that tagline. So if you are live on True Social now, make sure you look for me. People are already following my page. And I am not even, I have nothing to show for it, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot see my potato head on there just yet, but it's coming, okay? You know what? I'll take the end of the month too. So this way, maybe I can get some other stuff ready. Maybe I can get some other stuff ready to launch and everything will be in preparedness for Truth Social. 
Oh man, there's some exciting things to think about in that regard, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's making me uh, it's making me uh, excited over here as I sit and speak before you, ladies and gentlemen. All right, and we'll I'll get you guys the links and all that as soon as it's ready to go. Don't you worry, guys. I will get you all of that now. Now we're gonna dip into the bulk of our show for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we will have a COVID-19 focused episode because we haven't talked about COVID-19 in, you know, God knows how long. And, you know, I know that uh, it's not a fun topic to talk about. It's not, you know, but uh, we're digging around for other stories uh, aside from the usual, ladies and gentlemen, over here at the Sea Report. So let's see what we got for you tonight. COVID-19 focus. Okay. So uh, first up, guys, we got we're going to talk about some of the COVID relief funds. Okay, now we've all heard about fraud that has occurred over the COVID relief funds, whether that was through the PPP or through the uh, what was the other one? The emergency uh, management money system. I don't know. You know, I worked for the Small Business Administration. It was like a side gig that I got for about a year and a half or so. I wasn't working for them consistently. Now, the Small Business Administration, the SBA, is actually the agency that deals with handing out these COVID relief fund checks. So we had a couple of them. We had a, we had three different categories of uh, or types of checks that we would hand out. One was directly for the small business, you know the the single the single employee run business out of you know Joe Mama's like backyard or basement, right? Which probably those were fake businesses, right? They probably didn't even have an LLC. They probably didn't have a trademark, nothing like that. But like anyhow. So there is that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and there were a couple of other ones that they had um, initiated, uh, relief, emergency relief funds, etc. Now, uh, we've all heard about, okay, well, let me tell you one of the most common things that I heard when I was working with the SBA. Now, this was a remote work from home. You never see an office. You never see a person type of a job. Okay, so it's not like they had to give me some kind of a clearance and I went into a government building. I worked from the same desk that I deliver my C reports to you guys from and uh, taking calls and all that stuff. It's a very, very tedious work, obviously, but you get to talk to people and I have I have a pretty good knack for customer service, guest service, ladies and gentlemen, world class, in fact. And uh, interesting stuff talking with some of these people. Now, some of these people would call up and they'd be like, I haven't received my PPP yet. And I'd be like, oh, I, you know, I'm sorry, sir. I, I, I'm sorry to hear that. And, and they'd be like, you know, you know, my neighbor, my neighbor, they don't even have a business. And they made one up. And they already got their PPP. Where's my money? And I'm like, in a, you know, whatever script I had to say and show sympathy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know how many calls I got like that? How many calls with angry people because their neighbor or their cousin or their friend who does not even have a legitimate company, like they would call in and say this stuff. Now, of course, they never divulged that. Not like I could take that information like, oh, tell me the name of your friend or your neighbor who has a fake company, right? But they would call in and they would say such things. They would be like, my baby mama 
don't even run a nail salon. And she said she runs a nail salon and she making all this money. And I haven't even gotten my money yet. What's going on? And, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I can't tell you how many calls I had like that because I can't because there were several over the amount of time that I was off and on with them, guys. So very interesting stuff. So the fraud is real. We all know it's real, of course. We've all heard the stories. So we're just going to dip into a few more pieces of those tonight as we get this uh, ball rolling on COVID-19. Now, here's one that is actually pretty interesting. This is very, very new. This comes from uh, the Freedom Foundation, okay? Now, they did a study. They did a report on labor unions receiving money from the PPE, PPP, or profiting from the pandemic. Okay. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about labor unions, knowing how they work, they receive what? They receive, uh, they receive money payments or uh, they have, a, they have a more official name for them, don't they? They're not, they're not like payments. They're like dues. They have, they have labor member dues, right? Which means that a labor union who basically goes into a company to secure the rights and protection for workers there. Now, in some industries, they're parasites. In some industries, they're necessary, okay? But essentially, if the employee pays their member dues and that is essentially uh, uh, um, taken from that uh, employee's check, that's how the P- that's how the labor union gets their money. So why would a labor union need to participate in a payment protection program for their union when money from their union members will essentially be going to them? At least that's kind of the understanding, right? Well, Freedom Foundation did this, uh, they did this um, article here. And what is this? And it says, uh, it says, uh, labor unions took $37 million of ineligible COVID relief funding. Hundreds of labor unions, including numerous teacher unions, received $36.7 million in federal funds through the Federal Paycheck Protection Program, for which they are legally ineligible, according to this groundbreaking Freedom Foundation report. So Freedom Foundation, you guys could go to the website if you'd like. It's freedomfoundation.com. Well, it says lp.freedomfoundation.com. Uh, but you can go check out that. Now, they have some videos here. We're not going to watch them. It says, uh, Max Nelson live on Newsmask to discuss labor unions receiving $36.7 million in PPP loan fraud. We have another one here from uh, the more reliable OAN. Oh, this is no for Real American News. I apologize. Maxford Nelson joins Dan Ball on Real America uh, to go over the Freedom Foundation's report. And uh, here it shows you where the $36.7 million went. Okay, so we're looking at teachers unions over here. Uh, Michigan, Memphis, California, Ohio, Keene Federation. Look, Ohio Retired Teachers Association. Uh, Government Union PPP Loan Recipients. Alaska State Employees Association. Alabama uh, State Employees Association. Mississippi Alliance of State Employees. Uh, We have AFL-CIO. AFL-CIO, the very same unions that assisted in overthrowing President Trump and assisted in keeping the uh, fraud of the 2020 election quiet. AFL-CIO, also defrauding Americans of PPPs. 
uh, payments. So uh, Teamsters, a whole bunch of Teamsters received these payments. But now let's take a look at their actual report. It's an 11-page report. We're not going to read all of it. We'll, we'll look at some of the finer points here, though, of course, ladies and gentlemen. From the Freedom Foundation, profiting from a pandemic, how ineligible unions collected millions in federal COVID relief funds. It goes on to say, now this was their executive summary. Uh, between creation of the Paycheck Protection Program by Congress in March 2020 and passage of the American Rescue Plan in March 2021, as many as 226 forgivable loans, totaling $36.7 million, were provided to labor unions and related organizations that were statutorily ineligible for the funds. Teachers unions, government employees unions, and AFL-CIO advocacy organizations are among the most prominent beneficiaries of the relief funds. The ineligible loans diverted resources away from the purpose of the PPP, namely helping businesses keep employees on payroll. Further, given that union revenues derives primarily from dues deducted from members' paychecks, direct support to unions was unnecessary. To the extent that the PPP loans to businesses allowed union employees to keep working, it also allowed unions to continue collecting dues from their paychecks. You get that, guys? So people who were getting their PPP were having some of their money. Some of that money was going to these unions. So again, as I said, why on earth would unions need to receive Payment Protection Program funds, COVID-19 relief funds. It's fraud. Disconcertingly, the apparent inappropriate PPP loans may have been granted due to fraudulent loan applications or other questionable conduct by applicants or the private lenders operating under the SBA's delegated authority to approve loan applications. Appropriate federal authorities including at least the SBA, the Small Business Administration, and the Department of Justice should investigate the matter further and take appropriate actions to recover funds improperly, paid and prosecute any fraudulent activity committed. Okay, so I'm glad that someone's calling for this. Very, very glad. Eligibility, eligibility of labor unions for PPP loans. It says eligibility for PPP loans was not universal, however, while a variety of business enterprises with fewer than 500 employees qualified for the forgivable loans, nonprofit eligibility was primarily limited to tax-exempt organizations operating under 26 United States Code 501c3, which covers most traditional charitable nonprofits. As labor unions are generally registered with the Internal Revenue Service under 26 U.S. Code 501c5, most were not initially eligible for PPP loans. In December 2020, in addition to providing further funding for the program, Congress expanded PPP eligibility to business leagues and chambers of commerce operating under 26 United States Code 501c6, 
with passage of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. The handful of labor unions organized under this statute became eligible for PPP loans when President Trump signed the legislation into law on December 27, 2020. Finally, following the 2020 elections, the new Democrat congressional majority passed the American Rescue Plan, which President Biden signed into law on March 11, 2021, further extending the PPP and expanding eligibility to additional types of nonprofits, including labor unions under 26 United States Code 501c5, employee benefits funds under 26 United States Code 501c9, and building corporations under 26 U.S. Code 501c2. Unions and related organizations received PPP loans for which they were ineligible. The Freedom Foundation's review of the SBA's database of PPP loans recipients identified as many as 226 loans totaling $36.7 million that went to labor unions and affiliated organizations that were ineligible for the funds at the times of their loans. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com. At thecreport.com, you can get more information on The C Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecreport.com. That's www.thecreport.com. And be sure to follow us on our social medias, Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, and Pill.net. hundred and eighty-one loans totaling $32.6 million went to labor organizations under 501c5 whose applications were approved prior to March 11th, 2021. 23 loans totaling $2.9 million to union-operated voluntary employees beneficiary associates under 501c9, whose applications were approved prior to March 11, 2021. Three loans totaling $208,000 to unions operating, uh, operated building corporations under 501c2, whose applications were approved prior to March 11, 2021. Three loans totaling $179,000 to public employee advocacy organizations operating under 501c4, who were never eligible. One loan for $76,400 to a union registered under 501c6 whose application was approved prior to December 27, 2020. And 15 loans totaling $749,000 to unions and affiliated organizations whose eligibility is suspect due to an apparent lack of IRS filings denoting nonprofit status, failure to file tax returns with the IRS for multiple years, use of a residential address not associated with a union or organization on the PPP loan application, or obtaining a tax status inappropriate for a union. Now, if I had to guess, ladies and gentlemen, if I had to guess, I would suggest that the Biden administration laundered money 
through the PPP and the COVID relief funds program to unions that assisted them in stealing the election. Here is their payoff. Okay, go back to the go back to the Times article in February where the AFL CIO and other unions, along with corporations heads, agree uh, admitted that they were all involved in ensuring that people were silent on the fraud that was committed during the 2020 election. Here's their payoff. They used the Biden administration on his March 21st or March 11th, 2021 American Recovery Act or whatever it's called. They literally laundered money to people who helped them steal the elections. That's what this looks like to me. You want to know how these uh, unions got their payout? They got their payout through the PPP. They got their payout through these loans, guys. The forgivable loans, which means they don't got to pay it back, ladies and gentlemen. This right here is evidence of fraud. You know, if you were to take, if you, uh, Rico, if you were to take that article from the Times back in February of 2021, and you were to match, AFL-CIO is in there. They were one of the main people, ladies and gentlemen. But they were one of the main union groups, like the biggest, the main, okay? They were all in there admitting that they helped assist with the cover-up of the fraud. They kept people silent. They wouldn't let people speak out. They did a whole bunch of, they worked behind the scenes, okay? To make sure that everyone was on board with getting Trump out of office. Now their payout comes with the signing of uh, Illegitimate Joe's uh, American Recovery Act, wherein now unions are eligible and look at all of the laundering and the fraud that has occurred, guys. Look at all of the laundering and the fraud that has occurred. Pretty crazy, huh? And uh, we'll close this, uh, we'll close this report off with this other key finding. It says here, At least a dozen teachers unions and advocacy groups received PPP loans for which they were apparently ineligible. Of the 226 loans identified by the Freedom Foundation's analysis, the largest by far was the $6.4 million loan provided to the Michigan Education Association. It figures it would go to Michigan, guys. Where you got wretched Gretchen Whitmer, wretched wretched Dana Nassau, and Secretary of Snakes Jocelyn Benson. Yeah, figures it would go to Michigan, okay? And that went to the Michigan Education Association. Not only were the unions ineligible for these funds, but they had little need for them. The federal government allocated nearly $200 billion to public schools to help them weather the pandemic and keep staff on payroll and paying union dues, that is quite the report there, ladies and gentlemen. And I am definitely hoping that uh, members of Congress will jump all over this. I'm hoping one or two members of Congress will jump all over this, guys. I really, really am. That's, that's, that's disgusting, ladies and gentlemen. But now you know. You see the way that you, we see the way they do it now, guys. We see the way that they do it. Okay, that's how they that's how they launder their money. If it's not through a book deal, if it's not through a social media platform, it's through a government platform, right? 
Hey Aurelius Locke, how you doing? Good evening, sir. Good to see you in the audience. And uh, Persnick, hey Persnick, how's it going this afternoon? Persnick says, uh, <laughs> Persnick says, oh no, I'm late. And Tam Growl, hey Tam Growl, what's up? Tam Growl says, <laughs> sorry, Tam Growl says, Tam Growl says, you missed it at Persnick. We just solved world hunger. <laughs> That's what you get for being late. Uh, no, just kidding. Anyways, Persnick says, I will have to watch the replay. That's too funny. Okay, so... girl says, bingo, Mr. C. And, oh, hey, what's up, Pilled by the Rabbit? Oh, no worries. You know, you know, guys, I always keep the door open. And plus, I'm... You guys aren't late. I'm early, okay? <laughs> you guys are not late. I'm early, okay? So... So anyways, all right, guys, let's go on to our next story of COVID-19 fraud. I mean, it's not over yet with this whole PPP and all this situation. Like a lot of stuff is coming out. So 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 rather than focusing on the uh, the cases of of, uh, of actual COVID-19 vaccine fraud, or we're going to focus on the, the money issues, guys. We're gonna, we're going to focus on the things that we can get them with. Right. We're going to focus on we can stick our nails in them. Right. And be like, like, you think you want to get away with this? You ain't going to get away with this. Check this out. Millions in fraudulent small business administration approved COVID relief funds paid for luxuries courtesy of, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, us, the taxpayer. And uh, this goes into, uh, from Just the News, uh, shared this story. It says, fraudsters spent pandemic stimulus funds on cryptocurrency, home improvements, and a Camaro. And I'm sure a whole lot more, guys. I know. Not personally, but I know a whole bunch of people that spent all their COVID relief funds on drugs, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Anyways, it says the Golden Horseshoe is a weekly designation from Just the News intended to highlight egregious examples of wasteful taxpayer spending by the government. The award is named for the horseshoe-shaped toilet seats for military airplanes that cost the Pentagon a whopping $640 each back in the 1980s. Oh, that's where that joke comes from. You think they you, you think they have golden toilet bowls? <laughs> you think they they spend $600 on a toilet seat? I always thought that guy was being facetious. Of course we're talking about a movie from back in 1994 called Independence Day. All right. Let's see what um, Just the News' Golden Horseshoe Award is for. This week, it says, This week's Golden Horseshoe Award is awarded to, once again, the Small Business Administration. For millions in COVID-19 relief loans issued to fraudsters who used the proceeds to pay for luxury items, cryptocurrency, and home improvements, according to the Department of Injustice. The DOJ recently announced several new indictments, along with sentencing of individuals who obtained fraudulent loans through the Paycheck Protection Program and the Economic Injury Disaster Loans. The SBA had oversight over both the PPP and the EIDL loan programs. One case involved twin brothers, 
Jerry and Jalil Phillips, 24 years old, of Maryland, who are facing federal charges for $1 million in fraudulent PPP and EIDL loans, according to the DOJ. IP addresses linked to the Phillips twins were used to submit fraudulent loan applications and unemployment claims, according to the DOJ. The brothers allegedly created fictitious aliases such as uh, such as Percy Purplecoff <laughs> and fake corporate entities to apply for the loans and benefits. <clears throat> the Phillips used the funds to pay for a Camaro, furniture, and home improvement items. They also allegedly purchased cryptocurrency and created multiple accounts on digital currency exchange platforms. If convicted, they face a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. That's not 10 years for each twin, ladies and gentlemen. That is 40 years congruent, combined. Another case involves three men who were sentenced in mid-February for fraudulently obtaining $2.7 million in PPP and EIDL loans. Joseph Marcel Cartledge, 30 years old, of North Carolina, was sentenced to 72 months in prison. David Christopher Redfern, 32 years old, of North Carolina, was sentenced to 60 months in prison. And Alexander McMiller, 30 years old, of Illinois, was sentenced to 66 months. The three men joined a scheme with a conspirator to apply for fraudulent PPP and EIDL loans and submitted false tax and bank records to support their fake loan applications, the DOJ reported. The men used the loans they received to buy luxury items. An Oregon man was also sentenced just last week to 61 months in federal prison and three years of supervised release for stealing COVID-19 funds. David Unitan, a.k.a. Daniel Cohen, 47, applied for PPP and EIDL loans using someone else's social security number. SBA records showed six EIDL applications had been submitted and two were refunded for $295,000. IRS criminal investigation opened the investigation into PPP and EIDL loans obtained under suspicious circumstances by someone claiming to be Cohen and later confirmed to be Unitan. Cases of COVID-19 relief fraud involving unemployment insurances also continue to be reported. A Tampa woman was indicted last week on aggravated identity theft, access, access device fraud, uh, and possession of 15 social security numbers of others. Rolanda Wingfield, 39 years old, allegedly used two social media numbers, oh, sorry, social security numbers, to file for UI benefits and planned to use the others in her possession to file in various other states. In Fresno, California, the first of seven defendants pleaded guilty for his role in a $25 million prison-based unemployment insurance fraud scheme. Daryl Richmond, 31, a Kern Valley State Prison inmate, pleaded guilty in late February to conspiracy and aggravated identity theft charges related to the scheme. Richmond obtained personal identifying information of individuals who were both inmates and non-inmates. He then provided the information to his co-conspirators, who filed applications for unemployment insurance with the California Employment Development Department. 
The applications falsely stated that the inmates, minor children, and other previously worked as clothing merchants, handymen, and other jobs, and recently became unemployed because of the COVID-19 pandemic, according to the DOJ. Richmond faces up to 20 years in prison and is scheduled to be sentenced in September. Charges against the other six in the case are pending. Representative Kevin Brady of Texas, ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee, recently said the Democrat, that Democrats and the Biden administration are attempting to cover up the massive amount of pandemic relief fraud. Right now, our Democrat colleagues are continuing to turn a blind eye to what's possibly the greatest theft of American taxpayer dollars in American history, Brady said during a briefing on the estimated $80 billion of pandemic unemployment payment fraud. Faced with billions of dollars lost to unchecked unemployment fraud involving organized cybercrime and international crime rings, Democrats have ignored repeated calls for congressional oversight hearings, he added. The Small Business Administration did not respond to our request for comments. And the reason for that, ladies and gentlemen, is because you cannot get a hold of anyone at the Small Business Administration. Trust me, I know. I worked for them as a side gig for a little while, ladies and gentlemen. All right, guys, here's another story about coronavirus. And yes, guys, this absolutely does have to do with money and the government and coronavirus 2019, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So let's see. Hey, Deplore Laura, what's going on? How are you doing? Good to see you over at the foxhole, Miss Deplore Laura. Hope you're having a wonderful afternoon. Hi there, Victoria. How are you doing? Skeeterberg says, please keep me and my son in your prayers. He is super depressed. Aw. Skeeterberg, I'm so sorry to hear about your son's uh, current mental status. We'll keep him in our prayer. We'll send our love, positive energy, and happy vibes his way, Miss Skeeterberg. Absolutely. I'll jog on up to your neck of the woods and I'll take your son for a jog. How about that, Skeeterberg? Okay, so let's see what this next story on coronavirus 2019 we have here. Why do we have the coronavirus uh, being bombarded with the paparazzi? I wonder. Could it have something to do with the media? Oh, indeed it does. Indeed it does. Here's an exclusive that's coming to us. Who's this coming to us from? Who are you? Tell me now. This is from The Blaze, okay? This is an article, an exclusive from The Blaze. All right. Now, it says here, the federal government paid hundreds of media companies to advertise the COVID-19 vaccines while those same outlets provided positive coverage of the vaccines. Oh, well, are we starting to see a kind of loop-de-loo go around here? Are we starting to see a little bit of a pay-for-play? Are we starting to see a compromised media? Uh, that's what it sounds like, guys. But of course, my audience already knew about that. So it's not like this is such a far-fetched story. 
The Blaze article says, in response to a FOIA request filed by The Blaze, the Health and Human Services revealed that it purchased advertising from major news networks, including ABC, CBS, and NBC, as well as cable TV news stations, Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC, legacy media publications, including the New York Post, the Los Angeles Times, and the Washington Post, digital media companies like BuzzFeed News and Newsmask, and hundreds of local newspapers and TV stations. These outlets were collectively responsible for publishing countless articles and video segments regarding the vaccine that were nearly uniformly positive about the vaccine in terms of both its efficacy and safety. Hundreds of news organizations were paid by the federal government to advertise for the vaccines as part of a comprehensive media campaign, according to the documents the Blaze obtained from the Department of Health and Human Services. The Biden administration purchased ads on TV, radio, in print, and on social media to build vaccine confidence, timing this effort with the increasing availability of the vaccines. The government also relied on earned media featuring influencers from communities hit hard by COVID-19 and experts like White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci and other academics to be interviewed and promote vaccination in the news. Though virtually all of these newsrooms produced stories covering the COVID-19 vaccines, the taxpayer dollars flowing to their companies were not disclosed to audiences in news reports, since common practice dictates that editorial teams operate independently of media advertising departments, and news teams felt no need to make the disclosure as some publications reached for comment explained. The Biden administration engaged in a massive campaign to educate the public and promote vaccination as the best way to prevent serious illness or death from COVID-19. Congress appropriated $1 billion in fiscal year 2021 for the Secretary of Health to spend on activities to strengthen vaccine confidence in the United States. Federal law authorizes HHS to act through the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and other agencies to award contracts to public and private entities to carry out a national evidence-based campaign to increase awareness and knowledge of the safety and effectiveness of vaccines for the prevention and control of diseases combat misinformation about vaccines, and disseminate scientific and evidence-based vaccine-related information with the goal of increasing rates of vaccination across all ages to reduce and eliminate vaccine-preventable diseases. Of course, we all know these things ain't quite preventable through these vaccines, ladies and gentlemen. Anyone who has spent time reading the news, watching TV news coverage, or browsing social media in the past year has more than likely been exposed to the government's advertising. HHS ads posted on YouTube have been viewed millions of times, and commercials featuring celebrities like singer Sir Elton John and actor Sir Michael Caine have been the subject of news coverage such as this feature from NBC News. 
Sir Elton John and Michael Caine appear in a comic COVID vaccine ad. We're, uh, you can't see it because we're in immersive. Sorry, guys. Fear-based vaccine ads from HHS feature, featuring survivor stories from coronavirus patients who were hospitalized in intensive care units were covered by CNN and discussed on ABC's The View when they were unveiled last October. Though the federal government was paying each of these companies and others for pro-vaccine advertising while news reports covered the same vaccines, many editorial boards say they have firewall policies that prevent advertisers from influencing news coverage. Advertisers pay for space to share their message, as was the case here, and those ads are clearly labeled as such, explained Shawnee George, Vice President of Communications for the Washington Compost, in a statement. The newsroom is completely independent from the advertising department, she said. A spokeswoman for the Los Angeles Times gave a similar statement, emphasizing that the newsroom operates independently from advertising. The Blaze reached out to several other publications that either declined to comment or did not respond before publication. The COVID-19 public education campaign by the Health and Human Services Department also used earned media outreach, word-of-mouth marketing, with the goal of having trusted messengers and influencers speak to news organizations to provide factual, timely information and steps people can take to protect themselves, their families, and their communities. As a result of that effort, various government officials have frequently been quoted by reporters covering the COVID-19 pandemic, offering factual information on vaccine efficacy and safety. An October article from BuzzFeed News featuring the essential facts about who is eligible for a COVID-19 booster shot, for example, reported pro-vaccine statements from CDC Director Rochelle Walensky, FDA official Peter Marks, HHS Secretary Javier Bercera, and University of California San Francisco epidemiologist George Rutherford. Okay, so I'm kind of thinking the blaze got paid by the Health and Human Services for that paragraph right there, is kind of what I'm thinking. Ha! Okay. The article stressed how studies show boosters work and cited FDA data that suggests uh, getting the booster shot can reestablish strong protection against the virus. BuzzFeed News advertised everyone age 65 or older, people with health conditions that put them at a high risk of severe illness from COVID-19, those like healthcare workers who are at risk from coming into contact with COVID-19 positive people for work, and anyone in areas with high virus transmission to get vaccine boosters in accordance with guidance from the CDCP. Other publications, such as the Los Angeles Times, featured advice from experts on how readers could convince vaccine-hesitant people in their lives to change their minds. The Washington Post covered the pro-vaccine messages people want to hear. Newsmask has reported how the vaccines have been demonstrated to be safe and effective and how there was no such thing as election fraud in 2020. That was Newsmask. And it encouraged citizens, especially those at risk, to get immunized and also to not blame the election fraud on Dominion voting, voting services. HHS did not immediately respond when asked if the agency used taxpayer dollars to pay for people to be interviewed or for a PR firm to place them in interviews with news outlets. 
Since the COVID-19 vaccines manufactured by Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson were given emergency approval for use in the United States last year, specs, 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 numbers, 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 percentages, 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 I don't care to cover that. HHS has not yet revealed how much advertising money was spent on each media platform. Okay. Well, there you have it. I mean, I guess those specs could be worth... Okay, if we're taking into consideration the amount of money in advertising has gone into these media outlets, I guess the numbers could be important. 250 million Americans have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, the question here is how many of those Americans were influenced by that money that was spent by the Health and Human Services Department to buy ad space or to buy lip service from these actual media organizations? Okay, 94.6 million people have allegedly received at least one booster shot. And allegedly, about 65% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated, which would include 75% of adults and 88.8% of seniors. Do you guys think that that's a real number? Do y'all think that it's literally 75% of all adults? Because let me tell you what, if 75% of all adults have been vaccinated then the other 25% are on the foxhole.app and pill.net, right? Because <laughs> there's not a single dang adult I know on those platforms that have been vaccinated. It's all I'm saying, okay? <laughs> Let's switch over to the Pentagon, ladies and gentlemen. Here we have Darth Lord... Uh, uh, Darth Lord Vader, Darth Lloyd, Darth Lloyd Austin, guys, Darth Lloyd Austin, current Secretary of Defense at the Pentagon, Darth Lloyd Austin. Let's talk about the Pentagon. Uh, Pentagon asks the Supreme Court to block an injunction that allows deployment of unvaccinated Navy SEALs. The military is just so focused, right, on being the best that they can be, on getting the best in, on doing the best job that they can do, right? Their priorities are so high. I wouldn't be surprised if Darth Lloyd Austin were a woman. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, okay? But, uh, you know... Even as all of all of the states and, and all the left leaning, all the lef- lefty libtard states, all the Democrat communist states and cities are dropping their vaccine requirements, are dropping their mask requirements, we still have the Pentagon with a hard on for pricking their soldiers. Pun intended, not intended. Ladies and gentlemen, let's see what this article has to say. It comes to us from, uh, I think this is actually from Fox News. Dishonorable mention, dishonorable mention, Fox News. The Pentagon asked the Supreme Court on Monday to partially block a lower court injunction on unvaccinated Navy SEALs who sued President-select Biden last year because they were seeking a religious exemption. The request follows a January ruling by a federal judge in Texas who temporarily blocked the Department of Defense from halting the deployment of SEALs 
who refused to comply with the military's COVID-19 vaccination mandate. The judge's order also forbids military commanders from making any changes to their military assignments due to their unvaccinated status. At issue is whether the Navy has the discretion to deny the deployment for those who are unvaccinated. The emergency court filing on Monday stated that the order requires the Navy to assign and deploy them without regard to their lack of vaccination, notwithstanding military leaders' judgment that doing so poses intolerable risks to safety and mission success. But somehow, there is no intolerable risk to safety or mission success to someone who cannot figure out whether they're a boy or a girl, to someone who cannot figure out whether they should have it cut off or put in, to someone who can't figure out if their enemy is looking at them funny and they want to kill them because they don't pass as a trans, okay? Somehow that risk is a non-risk. It's a non-factor, right? But, but, but this, this perfectly pre-planned pandemic from a genuinely manufactured disease that does not exist and uh, it's basically the flu moonlighting as COVID-19 with vaccines that have proven to be more detrimental and more uh, uh, more ineffective and more harmful to humans who take it than those who don't is considered an intolerable risk to safety and mission success. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm going to clip that out from Bad Girls Club. Okay. Now, the injunction compelled the Navy to already send one SEAL team to Hawaii for duty on a submarine against its military judgment, according to the filing. Vice Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral William K. Lesher, warned that the illness of even one member of a small SEAL team due to COVID-19 could compromise the mission. The Navy has an extraordinarily compelling interest in ensuring that the service members who perform those missions are as physically and medically prepared as possible, read the filing. That includes vaccinating them against COVID-19, which is the least restrictive means of achieving that interest. The Department of Defense's mandate on all active duty service members went into effect for the Marine Corps on November 28th. In January, Texas-based United States District Judge Reed O'Connor issued the stay in response to a lawsuit filed by First Liberty Institute last November on behalf of 35 active duty SEALs and three reservists, as first reported by Fox News Digital. The Navy service members in this case seek to vindicate the very freedoms they have sacrificed so much to protect. The COVID-19 pandemic provides the government no license to abrogate those freedoms. There is no COVID-19 exception to the First Amendment. Ha! O'Connor wrote in his ruling. Probably pissed them off. There is no military exclusion from our Constitution. The SEALs represented in the lawsuit were all members of various Christian denominations and objected to the vaccine mandated based on their sincerely held religious beliefs, claiming the military was violating their constitutional rights, not to mention their human rights, which are constitutional rights, which are God-given rights. In February, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit declined to put O'Connor's order on hold, 
leading to the appeal on Monday. Lawyers for the SEALs will have until Monday, March 14th at 4 p.m. to respond. The court would then issue an order on enforcement, which would be temporary in nature until the issue is fully litigated in the lower courts. Isn't that crazy, guys? Is that not crazy, ladies and gentlemen? Terrible, terrible stuff, guys. Terrible stuff. We're all pure blood here, guys. We're all pure blood here in this chat room on this platform. How's it going, JTBN01? Good to see ya. And thank you, Tam Growl, for the blessings. Yeah, that's right. I don't understand. Yeah, that's the that's the only that's the only time I liked her. <laughs> All right, guys, let's talk about the United Nations and the vaccines, because it appears that the world cares for you. The world wants you to get your vaccines. They want you to be protected against COVID-19 and the flu unless you side with Russia then all humanity is out the door. If you take sides with Russia, they ain't going to help you. They ain't going to give you your COVID-19 vaccines. Maybe all of us non-COVID-19 vaxxers should say, we're on Russia's side. So they'll say, you're not getting a vaccine, you filth. (laughs) And then they'll leave us alone. But then they'll pick on us for being on Russia's side. So it's a catch-22, guys. I'll leave that at your discretion. Now, according to this article here, where is this coming from? This is coming from uh, somewhere on MSN. It says, uh, one country's decision to abstain from condemning Russia has now cost it a shipment of COVID-19 vaccines. As if though the hypocrisy could not get any crazier, guys. If you're taking the side of Russia, they're not going to give you life. And, and this, is, this is a pandemic, right? We need to make sure everyone's vaccinated so that this way no one gets this virus. But if you side with Putin, they don't seem to care that people in this country can go outside their borders and spread that around. Yeah, you see, the hypocrisy, ladies and gentlemen, is outstanding. Now it says here. On Wednesday, the United Nations General Assembly overwhelmingly voted in favor of condemning Russia for its invasion of Ukraine and demanding immediate withdrawal with 141 out of the 193 member nations voting in favor of the resolution. Five nations voted against it, including Russia itself, Belarus, North Korea, Syria, and Eritrea. I've never heard of Eritrea. Where the hell did that country come from? The remaining 35 countries abstained from the vote. Among the abstaining members was the South Asian country of Bangladesh. As a result of that decision, Lithuania reversed a previous decision from earlier in the week to send over 440,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccines to Bangladesh, according to a report from Lithuanian national radio and television. This was confirmed to LRT by a spokesperson for Lithuanian Prime Minister Ingrida Simonyat. The UN vote came after two days of debate, during which a Ukrainian representative accused Russia of genocide. Oh, how the tide has turned, right? In addition to condemning the invasion, 
in the strongest terms. The resolution also condemned Russian President Vladimir Putin's decision to put his country's nuclear forces on high alert amidst, amidst the focus on Russia. The General Assembly, including Bangladesh, also voiced support for the sovereignty, independence, unity, and territorial integrity of Ukraine. During the General Assembly debates, a representative for Bangladesh said that the one that the country always supports peace and wished for the crisis in Ukraine to be resolved through diplomatic dialogue. And that was according to the Daily Star. Now, in explaining its decision to abstain from the vote that ultimately condemned Russian actions, Bangladesh said that the resolution merely placed blame for the invasion and did not do anything to stop the conflict in Ukraine. Now, China has historically been an ally to Russia, but has recently spoken out against the invasion and voiced support for the sovereignty of Ukraine. Despite that, it also joined Bangladesh in abstaining from the resolution vote, citing a similar preference for a diplomatic approach to resolving the conflict. Zhang Jun, China's envoy to the United Nations, said that the resolution did not take full consideration of the history and complexity of the current crisis. It does not highlight the importance of the principle of indivisible security or the urgency of promoting political settlement and stepping up diplomatic efforts, he added. These are not in line with China's consistent positions. Bangladesh, located to the east of India, is the eighth most populous country in the world, with around 163 million residents. At only 148,000 square kilometers in size, it is also the most densely populated country on the planet. Since the start of the pandemic, it has reported just shy of 2 million COVID-19 cases and just over 29,000 deaths, according to Johns Hopkins University. So it doesn't really seem like it would be a smart move by anyone in the world to restrict COVID-19 vaccines to a country like Bangladesh. However, we know uh, the real thing going on here, ladies and gentlemen. We know that uh, Bangladesh is, uh, I mean, we know that COVID-19 is, yeah. We know, guys. We know. Uh, Perhaps Bangladesh should follow suit with uh, some of the provinces in India, right? Some of the states over there. And maybe they should just, uh, you know, take ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. It seems to me that that would probably be a more helpful response to what is happening over there than uh, taking these COVID-19 vaccines. I'm sure my audience would agree on that one, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's see what we got next for you guys by way of COVID-19 news. Oh, let's talk about the COVID-19 home tests, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so we do have some news coming out in this regard, guys. Uh, Let's see what we got for you. First up, nearly half of Biden's 500 million free COVID-19 test kits remain unclaimed. Which is why I ask, do you guys really think 75% of adults in America have taken these COVID tests? (laughs) Well, maybe. I guess if you have 500 million free COVID-19 tests that are still available, 
it maybe it's because they're all maybe it's because they're all already uh they're all already uh tested up and vaccinated yeah i don't think so Let's see what this is. This is from Just the News. It says, uh, the White House has been criticized for delivering a testing system too late to be helpful to the December, uh, January Omicron surge. As COVID-19 cases plummet and related restrictions and mandates are being lifted, nearly half of the 500 million virus tests that the Biden administration recently made available to the public remain unclaimed. When the initiative was launched in January at the height of the virus Omicron variant surge, over 45 million orders were received on the first day. Officials now report fewer than 100,000 daily requests, according to the Associated Press. The administration reports that 68 million orders for the packages of four tests have been placed, which means about 46% of the stock is still available. The White House, however, sees the program as effective and one that will potentially be able to support future demand surges. When the program started, officials say their priority was getting them areas in which populations are most vulnerable to infection. Close to 25% of the tests have made their way to distressed areas, according to officials. Moving forward, one question given the surplus of test kits is whether some households and families specifically those targeted for delivery the first time around, will be allowed to place a second order on covidtests.gov. I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But here's some other COVID-19 home test kit news from the Epoch Times. Poison control centers warn about toxic chemicals in at-home COVID-19 test kits. Who would want to take one of these into their home, knowing that there are possible toxic chemicals in these tests. Some at-home rapid COVID-19 tests contain a toxic chemical that may be harmful to both children and adults, according to health officials. The Cincinnati Drug and Poison Information Center reported an uptick in accidental exposure to a possibly toxic substance, sodium azide, in at-home COVID-19 test kits, according to a blog post. Meanwhile, the National Poison Control Center issued a warning about the chemical. It is important to know that the extraction vial in many rapid antigen kits includes the chemical sodium azide as a preservative agent, the center said. The Binax Now, BD Veritor, Flowflex, and Celtrion Diatrust COVID-19 Rapid Antigen Kits all contain this chemical. Sodium azide is a colorless, odorless powder that testers dip cotton swabs into. The chemical is found in herbicides, pest control agents, and airbags for cars. Small doses of sodium azide can lower blood pressure, and larger doses may cause more serious health effects, an advisory from Health Canada also said. ProClin is also found in many kits. It contains chemicals that can cause skin and eye irritation, as well as allergic reactions. Some hospitals around the United States say they have received a surge in phone calls about exposures to the chemical. We started getting our first exposures to these test kits around early November, said Sheila Gortmoller, pharmacist and clinical toxicologist for the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. 
It was really all ages. Mostly, I've been worried about our young children. Accidental exposure is occurring among both children and adults, said Dr. Kelly Johnson Arbor with the National Capital Poison Center in Washington, told WNEP over the weekend. People might mistake them for eye drops. Children might drop it into their skin. Adults will sometimes mistakenly put them into their eyes, she said. So you don't want to leave it on the skin because it could potentially cause an allergic reaction or a skin rash. If someone drinks the solution, it's really important to contact poison control right away. The solution may have different ingredients. Some have non-toxic ingredients and others have more dangerous ingredients. Officials told WNEP that there's no need to throw away the test kits, but people should be mindful when using them. Use them properly, dispose of them properly, and it won't cause an issue, Dr. Jeffrey Jarr with St. Luke University's Health Network told the outlet. If you suspect you or someone you know has ingested the chemical, officials recommend not to make the person vomit. For eye exposures, rinse the eye for 15 to 20 minutes with warm water. For skin exposures, rinse the skin well with tap water. Immediately check the Poison Control Center's online tool for guidance or call Poison Control at 1-800-222-1222, the website says. I don't know, guys. I'd be highly suspect of that. I mean, at least I know nobody in this audience will have to worry about that. But it is interesting information to share with people that you know and love who just can't help but to follow the herd. Okay. All right. We got a few more COVID-19 stories for you guys, uh, all evolving around the vaccines, of course. As we move along into today's episode, uh, what do we got here? I think next up we got stories about uh, child health matters, its lack of efficacy, and uh, people in Washington, believe it or not, actually fighting against these COVID vaccines. Ah, and just more truth, okay? Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine converts to DNA inside human liver cells, a new study finds. Now, this one sounds interesting, okay? It turns into DNA. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it doesn't sound good because it's not my DNA. And if it turns into DNA inside your DNA, does your body then adapt that DNA to its body? I mean, we already knew that the mRNA vaccines, you know, basically creates a COVID factory a spike protein within your body. I mean, couldn't that be the same thing as, is this study telling us stuff that we already knew, ladies and gentlemen? That's the way it seems to me. Let's see what it has to say. This is also from Just the News. It says, the Swedish study suggests the vaccine is capable of becoming DNA, which is what the CDC claimed would not happen. The messenger are, oh, I guess it is the mRNA. Whoa, well, guys, we were ahead of this by over a year. Congratulations. The messenger RNA from Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine reportedly can enter human liver cells and be converted into DNA, contrary to what the CDC has said. 
A study by Swedish scientists finds that when the vaccine mRNA enters human liver cells, it triggers a number of reactions that yield a reverse transcription that turns the mRNA into spike DNA, according to the Epoch Times. We already knew this. We've known this for over a year, ladies and gentlemen. The scientists in their study published in the journal Current Issue of Molecular Biology state that they have found evidence that COVID-19 mRNA vaccine BNT162b2 is able to enter the human liver cell in H7 in vitro, HUH7 in vitro. They write that BNT162b2, the Pfizer vaccine, is reverse transcribed inside human liver cells as quickly as six hours after the injection. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said that the reverse transcription process is something that would not happen, the Epoch Times also reports. Under a CDC site page, Myths and Facts About COVID-19 Vaccines, the agency writes, the genetic material delivered by mRNA vaccines never enters the nucleus of your cells. COVID-19 vaccines do not change or interact with your DNA in any way. Pfizer said only that its vaccine does not alter the human genome. Our COVID-19 vaccine does not alter the DNA sequence of a human cell. It only presents the body with the same instructions to build immunity, the pharmaceutical giant told the Times. So that's a little bit more honest, right? The Swedish study is the first time that researchers have shown how an mRNA vaccine can transform into DNA. The CDC has not responded to Just the News queries since Wednesday on whether it finds faults with the research, and if so, how and if so, how or whether the agency will reevaluate its public claim in light of this research. So all the truths coming out, ladies and gentlemen. All the truths coming out. Hey, curious cat, how's it going? Curious cat says that's how retrovirus and trans. Transposins work. Ooh, curious cat. Sounds like you got some intel, sir. All right, here's another one. Pfizer's COVID vaccine efficacy goes negative for younger kids. Go figure. This is another find from a government study. This article, again, from Just the News. It says here, California Governor Gavin Newsom's office tells Just the News the findings won't change his vaccine mandate plan for schools. That's pretty bad, guys. He's not following the science. What's this chart here? We got a chart here. Vaccination estimates. Uh, I don't got the full, I don't got the the breakdown, but it says here, the efficacy of Pfizer mRNA COVID-19 vaccine for the youngest population authorized to receive it turns negative by the sixth week after full vaccination takes effect, according to buried findings in a study of more than 1.2 million New York children since the Omicron variant's emergence. The preprint, which has not been peer-reviewed, was written by New York Department of Health and University of Albany researchers, including Eli Rosenberg, Deputy Director for Science in the Office of Public Health, and UA uh, epidemiologist, ep- epidemiologists, epidemiologists, sorry. 
A graph appears at the bottom of the final page comparing COVID cases among unvaccinated children, January 3rd through the 30th, to their newly fully vaccinated peers, December 13th through January 2nd. They are split into two age groups, 5 to 11 and 12 to 17, and measure for seven weeks, about 70% of the population was 12 to 17. So there you go. I guess that's what we're looking at here. Okay. All right. Now, article continues. Starting at day 35, vaccine efficacy goes negative for 5 to 11 years, year olds and gets worse over time meaning they are progressively more likely to be infected than unvaccinated peers. Negative VE, vaccine efficacy values, observed in later time prints likely reflect estimator instability and or residual confounding as opposed to true relativity increased risks for those vaccinated, a footnote reads. So it says here, Pfizer COVID vaccine study in kids, New York Health Department. Okay. This finding is left out of the abstract and main body of the study. They note that VE plunges, vaccine efficacy plunges to 12% by the 28 to 34 day mark for 5 to 11 year olds, down from 65% immediately after the 14 day window in which two dose vaccines allegedly take full effect. The measured periods of 0 to 13 days, 14 to 20 days, 21 to 27 days, 28 to 34 days, 35 to 41 days, and 42 to 48 days. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So we got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Okay, so here you go, guys. Now we got some of the data we need. This is the efficacy of the vaccine in children, okay? Um, and this is going to be uh, unvaccinated to vaccinated peers, 13 or less days, 14 to 20 days, 21 to 27 days, 20 to 34, 35 to 41, 42 to 48. Taking a look at that, guys. It says here, by contrast, 12 to 17 year olds saw vaccine efficacy plunge from 76% to 46% by the final measured week. Researchers believe this is because 5 to 11 only gets a third of the dose size as 12 to 17, which would explain why, despite overlapping physiology, 11-year-olds had markedly lower vaccine efficacy than 12 and 13-year-olds. And they still recommend vaccination for the youngest authorized group because they were protected against severe disease even with that lower dose. Vaccine efficacy against hospitalization fell from 85% to 73% for the older group and from 100% to 48% for the younger group. These results highlight the potential need to study alternative vaccine dosing for children and the continued importance of layered protections, including mask wearing to prevent infection and transmission, according to the conclusion not according to just the news. And it says here that uh, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky often promotes layered protection or similar wording. The negative vaccine efficacy finding emphasized by former New York Times journalist Alex Berenson went, went overlooked by most, both mainstream media and specialized journalists. 
Stat News, for example, stopped at the 12% vaccine efficacy observed in the fourth of seven weeks. But negative vaccine efficacy was also observed in a peer-reviewed CDC study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in January. It found that unboosted adults were more likely to have symptomatic Omicron infections seven to ten months after the vaccination than peers who were unvaccinated, with Pfizer's vaccine performing worse than Moderna's. Pfizer CEO Albert Borla has also said Omicron rendered its vaccine nearly impotent against infection and only reasonable against hospitalization. Regardless of the explanation, the New York paper could throw a wrench in COVID vaccine mandate plans in schools. California Governor Gavin Newsom, Governor Gruesome Newsom, has mandated COVID vaccination for all school children with medical, religious, and personal exemptions when the FDA fully approves them for each age group. A bill, uh, SB 871, offered by California Senator Richard Pan, a pediatrician, would go further by requiring full immunization under emergency use authorization while banning personal and religious exemptions. Clearly, this pediatrician is bought and paid for by the pharmaceutical company. That's terrible. Asked whether the research gave the governor pause, Newsom's press office told Just the News, vaccinations work by saving lives, reducing pediatric hospitalizations and are key to keeping schools open. The New York study drew scrutiny for how it was designed, presented, and reported. It's telling that the researchers don't mention deaths, which is not surprising since COVID childhood mortality is minuscule. Former Harvard Medical School epidemiologist Martin Koldorf, a pioneer in vaccine safety, told Just the News. To prevent infection is not an important outcome that we should vaccinate for, and weaning efficacy might not be specific to Omicron, he wrote in an email. One explanation for the negative vaccine efficacy might be that kids will get infected sooner or later, so the vaccine just postpones it a little. The hospitalization figures were the only interesting part of the paper, he said, not statistically significant for the 5 to 11-year-olds despite a huge sample size and still low in the older group. The results suggest the younger population should not be vaccinated, while the older group would get no major benefit. The study makes clear there's no scientific case for children to be subject to vaccine requirements, which are borderline delusional in schools, University of California, San Francisco epidemiologist Vinay Prasad said in a YouTube video. He questioned how news coverage portrayed the study findings on vaccine efficacy and hospitalizations, particularly for 5 to 11-year-olds. The confidence interval for that group not only spans the null, meaning vaccines might have no effect, but it's huge, negative 12% to 75%. That could actually be good news because there are very few cases in that cohort. Prasad is not sold that the dosing differences fully explain the vaccine efficacy differences between the younger and older groups. I'm not sure they have enough statistical power to really see the difference and may instead be anchoring a statistical noise. Robert Malone, the mRNA vaccine pioneer turned critic, claimed in his newsletter Tuesday, the paper would never fully pass peer review and should actually be taken down. It is especially problematic that it has no conflict of interest, the statement he said. 
Um, let's see, the researchers are basically PhD and MD public health bureaucrat officers of the state of New York. And one has published often in recent months in the CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, Malone noted. MMRW is not peer-reviewed and has faced increasing challenges to the quality of COVID research it publishes. The report's conclusions are not supported by its data, he claimed, citing an endorsement of mask wearing without any basis in the study's case results. Corresponding author Vajira Dorabawila, co-director of the Department of Health's Bureau of Surveillance and Data Systems, did not immediately answer a request to respond for the appraisals of this study. All right. So, these vaccines are deadly and ineffective, ladies and gentlemen, just as we have always known. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm/the sea report. And thanks y'all. Okay, guys, we only got a few more COVID-19 stories for you, and we are done for the day. Let me see what else I got over here. Hold on. What do I got cooking for you guys? So that's done. Oh, we're going to talk about some of the freedom fighters now. So a few good cases, guys. We'll, we'll wrap up tonight's report with some good news. Some good news for everybody. As we see that uh, through this planned pandemic, through this fraud of a pandemic, we uh, we do have efforts to thwart it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for gifting the shades, Miss Tam Growl. You are much appreciated. Vaccines act like a virus, says uh, Curious Cat. Yep. Good note there, my friend. Good note indeed. All right, what do I got on the menu last for you guys tonight? Let's start with this one. Now, this has to do with the masks, ladies and gentlemen. The most annoying masks. Now, apparently, did I get this from this article or not? Apparently, it used to be that... Like, apparently at the start of this entire COVID-19 pre-planned pandemic, they would tell you that it was the safest place to be unmasked during a pandemic was an airplane. 
because of the type of air filters that they use, right? The safest place to be was an airplane. And then that changed, okay? And now we have all of these, uh, all of these uh, videos and stories and stuff coming off of airplanes where people are getting like their face taped shut. Like, that's, like, a level of abuse, if you ask me. Like, I don't, you know, it's one thing to, like, I don't know, put someone in time out. But to actually physically tape their mouth shut? I would not stand for that. I mean, if an air marshal did that to me, he would have to shoot me if I was going to sit there with that taped face. Basically is what I'm saying, okay? Okay. Victoria, thank you for gifting the cookie, sweetie. I appreciate you. I, I mean, that's that's like cruel and unusual, right? To allow another human being to tape a mask to your face because you're in an airplane. And again, the regulations and the standardized rules, standardized, right? When this this whole thing first broke out was that the airplane was super safe. To be unmasked. This is from Fauci, right? From Fauci and the CDC and, and, and Walrus Lensky, the director, that uh, airplanes were super safe because of the types of filters that they used. And then they became Nazis, right? And now everybody is lifting the mask mandates. You don't have to wear the masks, let alone get a vaccine anymore. But some, for some reason... Federal law on air transportation and any type of public transit, you have to wear a mask. This makes no sense. To me, it already made no sense that you would even allow people to fly in a little sardine can on a full packed plane during a pandemic, even with masks on, right? Already, I was like, we could already see the cracks in that logic, right? Fortunately, we have someone like Mo Brooks, twice endorsed by President Trump, who is leading an effort to end mask mandates on United States commercial flights. You know what that means. If you're on a private flight, if you're a runaway Democrat from Texas, you don't have to wear your mask if it's government sponsored, right? But if it's a commercial flight, well, they'll be damned if you don't have a mask on. Representative Mo Brooks of Alabama, who's running for Senate in Alabama, is leading a House Republican effort to end the federal mask mandate on public transportation, including United States domestic commercial flights. The American people are sick and tired of being dictated to by unelected Washington bureaucrats, Brooks said in a statement. Brooks has introduced the Freedom to Fly Maskless Act, with co-sponsors like Representatives Paul Gosar, Scott Perry, and Tom Tiffany to prohibit the federal government from mandating masks, negative Chinese coronavirus tests, and vaccinations on all public transportation. Unelected bureaucrats have falsely claimed the power to foist unnecessary and anti-science mandates on the American people, Brooks said. These mandates have resulted in good Americans being fired from their jobs, being jabbed with needless against needles against their will, and even losing their businesses in some cases. It is time to throw off the heavy boot of tyranny that, that's crushing the American spirit, he continued. Washington bureaucrats need reminding that America was founded on freedom and liberty.
The federal mask mandate for Americans flying on commercial flights has remained in effect for nearly two years, even as airline executives have admitted that planes are some of the safest environments because of their highly filtered air-conditioned system. Continued mandates are not justified, and it's long past time Americans return to our pre-pandemic lives, Brooks said. In the Alabama Senate GOP primary race set for May 24th, Brooks has been endorsed by President Trump and is backed by Senator Rand Paul, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, and the National Association for Gun Rights, among others. All right, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So there you go. Seems to me that uh, Representative Mo Brooks stands a pretty good chance, and we'll see if he can't get this going. Hopefully people will be uh hopefully people will be rallying behind Mo Brooks for this ladies and gentlemen as we move on to our next story a note from uh a note from uh the chat room Aurelius Locke says 10,000 unaccounted ballots in Texas County boy you are getting ahead of uh you are getting ahead of uh, Lone Star News, sir. Look at look at here, sir. <laughs> oh, you are getting ahead of Lone Star News. Like, where were you at? Where are you at? Is it you? Are you here? I already I already have that story in my uh, I already have that story in my in my uh, little tabs here. Okay, <laughs> that's for just the news, sir. It's it, no news is news. I mean, uh, most news is no news to me over here at the Sea Report. I already got a pulse on it. Okay. <laughs> Let's see, but uh, uh, good to see that you're you're dropping that in there. I appreciate, uh, yeah. Aurelius Locke always has my back, ladies and gentlemen. In case you guys didn't notice, where are you at? I wanna I wanna show you guys. I have it here somewhere. You see how many tabs I have, and inside of these windows, I have tabs on tabs on tabs of uh, stories that I need to share with you guys that I haven't yet, or stuff that I'm researching, stuff that I'm you know piddling through. Where is that story? It's not here, is it? This is uh, clearly the Gateway Pundit store, uh, like uh, the Gateway Pundit news bar here. <laughs> no, that's not it. I know it's here somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's a Gateway Pundit story that I have it on. Let me see here. I'll see all of these tabs. I have stories to share with you guys. Okay. Lawsuit. Oh, no, this is about Michigan. Okay. That's all on Michigan, guys. Okay, so... <laughs> It's ridiculous over here sometimes at the Sea Report. Let me tell you what. Uh, it's got to be on this one. It's got to be on this one. Bam! No, no, it's not. This is a Texas one. But I don't have that story here. I have that story. I have this story somewhere. Oh, that's about the glitches during the voting. We're almost done, guys. That's why I'm kind of like, yeah, meandering through this. Is it this one? No, that one's yesterday's episode. Too much work here. Too much work. Oh, we already looked at that one. Yeah, I'm going to satisfy this itch so this way I don't look like I'm lying. Okay. Uh, Oh, here it is. Democrat-controlled election in Texas, largest county fails to count 10,000 mail-in ballots. Yeah, we're saving it for Lone Star News, Aurelius Locke. Yeah, I know. I know all about it. Don't you worry. (laughs) Oh, yours is from the Epoch Times? 
Very cool. Very cool. Yes, Tam Growl, that is from the recent primaries here in Texas. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Oh, you're welcome, Tam Growl. What are you thanking me for? <laughs> Anyhow. All right. Two more stories, guys, and we're going to call it a wrap for tonight. Senator, a Senator, Senate GOP passes resolution to nix COVID-19 emergency. Okay, so this, the GOP is trying to get this done so they can no longer work under emergency powers, ladies and gentlemen. Take that away from them because they will always create an emergency in order to delegate or relegate uh, restrictions, uh, laws, all that stuff. You know you know how it goes, guys. Y'all, you and the audience, you guys know how it goes. Senate Republicans on Thursday passed a resolution to nix the coronavirus national public health emergency, their second win in as many days amid Democrat absences. Senators voted 48 to 47 on the resolution, spearheaded by Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, a day after they were also able to pass a measure to nix President Biden's vaccine requirement for healthcare workers. I would ask him to listen to the people and end this declaration of emergency, Marshall said in an appeal to Biden ahead of the vote. Both votes were party line, but Republicans were able to exploit Democrat absences. Three Democrat senators who were absent included Mark Kelly of Arizona, Dianne Feinstein of California, and Alex Padilla, also of California, compared to two absences for Republicans, James Inohef, or Inohef, I can never pronounce his name, of Oklahoma, and Richard Burr of North Carolina, effectively giving the majority to the GOP in the chamber. But the resolution, like the vaccine mandate vote, is going nowhere in the Democrat-controlled House. The administration also vowed ahead of the vote if that if it reached Biden's desk that he would veto it. Continuing to progress, protect against COVID-19 and ensuring that our response remains nimble are top priorities of this administration. Therefore, the administration strongly opposes Senate Joint Resolution 38, which would terminate the national emergency declared on March 13, 2020, and unnecessarily and abruptly curtail the ability of the administration to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Office of the Management and Budget, OMB, said in a statement. President Trump declared the national emergency in March of 2020. Biden announced last month that he was extending the declaration, saying that he needed to be able to respond to the coronavirus with the full capacity of the administration. Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer of New York accused Marshall of trying to handicap Biden's ability to respond to the coronavirus. The proposal to hinder our COVID-19 preparedness is as damaging and risky as it is unnecessary, and it should be voted down. It is going nowhere if it passes, says Schumer. Crying Chucky Schumer. Inhofe. Thank you, Tam Grell of Oklahoma. I appreciate that. <laughs> governor Inhofe, or Senator Inhofe. Sorry, not Governor. Okay. Florida Surgeon General. Data does not support lockdowns, mask masking as a cure-all. So more and more people are coming out. Of course, they're going to be talking about this in Florida, right? 
Uh, it says here, uh, throughout the Chinese coronavirus pandemic, the data has not backed extremist policies such as extended lockdowns and mass masking. Florida General, uh, Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo said during Governor Ron DeSantis' roundtable discussion on ending COVID theater on Monday, where he noted the mental gymnastics the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has employed in updating its guidance. The round uh, round table featured Ladapo, DeSantis, and physicians nationwide, all of whom discussed the importance of ending COVID theta once and for all. We've had a lot of people with great degrees hang their reputations on the false statement, and I say false based on what we see in terms of the data, that the lockdowns or the mask mandates or the vaccine mandates would, would be a cure-all, Ladapo said during the roundtable discussion. And you look at the data, you know these things go around on the internet, and you sort of look at the rise in case and the fall in cases of different locations in this country, outside of this country, that have implemented different mandates. And you know, if there's a difference, if there's an appreciable difference, I've yet to see it. And that's been the reality. DeSantis pointed out that it has been extremely difficult for everyday Americans to find the true data throughout the, the, throughout the pandemic. For instance, if there was a study showing that masking children in school is not really beneficial, he said, that was not something that corporate media outlets wanted to discuss. When the Danish mask study came out for the general public, it showed no benefit that was not something that was discussed. And so what we had to do in Florida was really work hard to find the actual data. Look at the studies and consider those regardless of the, if the media wanted to, he said. But then if there was something that was kind of half-baked that supported the narrative, there would be blaring from the headlines about how important this is. I mean, things like saying that, you know, the pandemic could end in six weeks if just 90% of people wore a cloth mask and all of these other things that were constantly trotted out with very little actual rigor behind them. So, all right, people still speaking out, ladies and gentlemen. But I think tonight to close off the C report, this is a very, very crucial story. Now, Way back in the early months of this pre-planned pandemic, we here were like, wouldn't it be something if a group of doctors got together and they formed their own clinic or medical establishment that offered care to people who did not want to get the vaccine, who did not want to wear the masks, and this is, this is in, in, in direct juxtaposition to these medical health care centers that are turning away people because they don't have a vaccine, that are turning away people or giving them a hard time because they choose not to wear a mask, that are discriminating against individuals who don't see it the same way as the rest of the world caught up in their fear do as well. So... At long last, ladies and gentlemen, in lieu of America's frontline doctors, we have Freedom Medical, which is a brand new company that will not cater, but will service those 
without looking at political positions, without looking at your stance on vaccines or masks. Good stuff, guys. A great way to end tonight's story. And it go. Oh, where are you? Where'd you come from, Project Veritas? Okay. <laughs> oh, it looks like James O'Keefe wants to come on my show. Okay, Freedom Med, Freedom Med CEO Kevin Jenkins says we are creating Freedom Med to break away from tyrannical medical systems, build a new world where healthcare and human life are valued. Or healthcare and human life are valued. Yeah, I guess that's that is grammatically correct. It sounds weird, but it is grammatically incorrect. I mean, it is grammatically correct. I apologize. Okay, so the article goes on to say, and this is from the Gateway Pundit, y'all. It says, the vast majority of COVID-19 related deaths occur in hospitals, but they are not dying from the disease. Numerous doctors warn that hospitals across the United States have been adhering to dangerous CDC protocols throughout the pandemic that coerce health practitioners to essentially murder COVID-19 infected patients. In addition to insisting patients get dangerous experimental COVID-19 vaccinations, doctors are reportedly providing hospitalized COVID-19 patients remdesivir, a drug that causes renal failure and pulmonary edema, and then putting them on mechanical ventilators, a procedure that typically results in death Not to mention, there are investigations into whether or not these ventilators, which operate on a QNX operating system, might actually be hacked. That's another story, guys. Now, Americans who no longer trust the medical establishment have a new option. Freedom Med launched this week a telemedicine company that is uniting medical professionals to protect your constitutional medical rights and enable you to take back your health. Freedom Med is a new medical as a new healthcare company that is going to be focused on changing the health in the country. Freedom Med CEO Kevin Jenkins told the Gateway Pundit in an exclusive interview. Freedom Med is going to give us the opportunity to select some of the greatest doctors on this planet and give opportunities to people all over the world to be able to get the proper care. They will not be turned away. It will be singularly focused on changing the culture of health in this country. I know something about medical racism, about medical apartheid, and it's a sad day in this country when these companies, when our government is financing them to commit homicide on American citizens, he said. This is not the first time we have gone through this in this country. If you go back and research the 1800s, we were going through the same thing, compulsory vaccines. This is why we are creating Freedom Med, so we can break away from this medical tyranny, so we can build a new world where healthcare and human life will be valued. This is about bringing more value, more transparency to the doctor-patient relationship. While doctors across the country break their Hippocratic Oath, denying life-saving treatment to critically ill patients, the team of medical experts with Freedom Med are going to break that cycle, building trust, building transparency, building a relationship with your patient, getting the patient to understand that we value life, Jenkins said. We value their health. 
It's important that people start to understand that we can break away with this tyrannical system, that we can build something new, we can create solutions, we can create opportunities for people to build a better healthy life. Right now in America, we are some of the sickest people in the world. We are going to be bringing transparency. We are going to be bringing amazing doctors to the table that cover all of the disciplines and medicines that we think are important to build a healthy community. Freedom Med is where it's going to happen. You've got to follow us because if you join us at freedommed.org, you are going to see where we are going with this. Top-notch doctors, top-notch healthcare, people that are coming up with solutions, people that value human life, people that value children. It's time for us to break away from this system. Expert immunologist Dr. Vladimir Zelenko announced on Friday that he has partnered with Freedom Med to institute a brand new concept in healthcare. Zelenko, an early advocate for the use of hydroxychloroquine and a Nobel Peace Prize nominee, is calling on medical practitioners who have been penalized, suspended, or criminalized and risk losing their careers during the pandemic for providing effective treatments to patients despite hospital protocols to join the team at Freedom Med. Zelenko says, We are recruiting doctors from, for a telemedicine national service. The doctors we want to recruit are those that we believe that each human being is are those that believe that each human being is made in the image of God and that their lives have sanctity and that the needs of the patient must always come first. The last two years have shown us the exact opposite. The majority of the medical profession has sacrificed their patients to their own fears, bureaucracy, lack of innovation, lack of thought. Basically, most doctors follow directions and are just following orders and did what they knew was wrong. They let patients go home with no treatment and develop consequences and complications and lung damage and blood clots. As we know now in retrospect, we could have prevented 85% of hospitalizations and deaths if we treated people in the right time frame, those doctors that did try to do that were fired. Mid-level providers, physicians, assistants, nurse practitioners, clerical staff, anyone who dare advocate for keeping people alive was penalized, sanctioned, brought before medical boards. Those are the doctors I want. Those are the people, mid-level providers, nursing staff, medical assistants, clerical staff, secretaries. Those are the people I want who care for myself, my family, my patients. That's what Freedom Med is about. There is a tremendous amount of talent out there due to the outright abuse by the medical profession of those of these wonderful people. The good thing is now we know who the doctors are. We know who the decent human beings are. We are going to revolutionize the standard of care. Hallelujah, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I'm talking about, okay? Like, we knew, we knew that there was going to come a moment when all of those doctors, all of those people who truly care for 
humans, for other people, for our brothers and sisters on this planet, would have this moment and this opportunity. And so, just as with election fraud in the light of the coup that happened in 2020, where we are seeing all of the methods and the schemes and the ways that they committed fraud, that we're seeing all of the uh, the the we're seeing the web of inclusion for all of these um, treasonous bastards, you know, just like with the medical industry, they have now they have now been able to recognize who the real people are in this industry, who the people who are not just paycheck pushers or paycheck players or, you know, time clock watchers, right? Not the people who are just in the industry to turn a million dollars, to turn a six-figure check, right? A six-figure salary. The people who are really in this industry because they care about their fellow humans. Because we all know that people get into this industry should not be apathetic. They should not be cynical, right? They should have a genuine desire to service and care their fellow brothers and humans, uh, fellow brothers and sisters on this planet, okay? So now you have a contingent, a company, a group of doctors that do just that, that perform their functions based just on that. And no, we're not going to, we're going to do one last thing because I have it here. Where is it at? Where is it at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Here we go. I'm going to uh, take you guys to the website for freedommed.org. That's freedommed.org. Okay. Before we wrap it up, we're going to take a look at their website. Take control of your health. So here you go to sign up. Restoring faith in the doctor-patient relationship. We're a private healthcare system that puts health and welfare of our patients above the profits and desires of pharmaceutical companies. This is your healthcare between you and your doctor, not big pharma. Our low-cost monthly subscription model provides for the ultimate health protection and care available without interference from the government. Makes me wonder uh, how insurance is going to play into this. Will you even need insurance? It doesn't seem like it. Uh, so you can go sign up there for more information. Now, like over here on this monthly sign-up thing, like if you click on that... Whoa. Okay, there we go. So uh, Freedom Med VIP subscription, $99 a month delivery every month. I'm guessing this is your meds. Our world-class gold standard program supercharges your immune system to prevent you from getting sick. And if you get sick or are sick right now, then our proven prescription formulary and frontline clinicians will deliver you the care you need to get well again. Oh, interesting. Your Freedom Medical subscription includes world-class doctors, concierge-level healthcare, access to national laboratories, access to natural pharmacy, access to a natural pharmacy, access to diagnostic image centers, imaging centers shipped to home pharmacy, Freedom Medical designed and approved products, wellness care, natural and homeopathic care, and prophylactics. Interesting. So I don't know. I'm going to have to check more about this out on the separate, but I wanted to show you guys the... Um, Website at least. Dr. Zelenko, Dr. Jenkins, uh, Dr. Stephen Katsis, Dr. Robert Marsh, Dr. Jana Schmidt. So this just launched, guys. Marched on the, it launched on the 3rd, according to this. But I guess it's just uh, making headways in the news and the headlines right now. 
It's a dot org, Sassy Q, freedommed.org. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings our show to a conclusion for tonight. All right. I know we were on a little bit earlier than usual, guys. I hope y'all don't mind. We will most likely be on early again tomorrow. Quite honestly, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We'll see how that goes. In the meantime, in between time, thank you all again for uh, being here with us today. Whether you were joining us on um, uh, Rumble or Twitch or Clout Hub or Pill.net or uh, the Foxhole.app, guys. Many thanks, many thanks indeed. We'll have to do this again sometime, ladies and gentlemen. I uh, don't know if it'll be tomorrow. Well, we'll probably be on again live early tomorrow, I would imagine. But uh, anyways, guys, that's all we got for you. You guys have a great night out there. Thanks again for hanging out with us tonight. And uh, we'll, we'll be back soon. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, be safe, be blessed. God bless America. Have a great night. We'll see you soon.